shall we begin? Hey everyone, and welcome to Legion Quest, your number one guide to the astral plane and all the weird stuff in it. I'm your host, Zach Jenkins, and with me, as always, is Matt Sibley. Matt, how you doing today? Pretty good. We got a chance to go home, have a break, back now, refreshed, ready to talk refreshed. about Legion. Ready to talk about Legion? I'm ready to talk about Legion. It's such a crazy thing. Yeah, there's, there's plenty to talk about this week. There was well, plenty quite a bit happened. Well, I'll tell you what, this week was a little odd for me. Really? Like, How come? I liked it. I really did. But I liked it after about 10 minutes in. It was odd. I, I thought it was I thought it was paced a little different. I'll tell you the the one thing that I thought was weird, at least to start out, is you know, as we start this episode, and just our standard reminder to anyone listening, if you've stumbled upon this somehow and you are not watched Legion Chapter Five, go watch Legion Chapter Five and do not listen to us until you're done. This will have no context, you'll be very confused. And eh, it's a really good episode, all things considered. I just have an incredibly high bar set at this point. <laughs> yeah, especially after last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this episode, it starts out with David possessed by the devil with yellow eyes. Mm -hmm. And you can see that immediately in his action. Yeah, the way he changes. Carrying and... himself. And, you know, quickly he gains a lot of confidence and... He says, hey, you know what? Me and Sid can't be together. Well, I know this whole new side to my powers, and I can make us be together. He so he creates space. Yeah. He calls it the White Room, which I'm going to put a big old asterisk here, because that has comics connotations that seem to be an incredible coincidence that will have nothing, and I'm not making big grand fan, fan theories on it. But I'm not going down that road again. It's not worth the risk. Well, because there's nothing else besides the words White Room to set up that this is the same White Room that the now-dead Jean Grey resides as the white-hot phoenix of the crown, where, you know, is the extra-dimensional source of all the phoenix force energies that have caused some issues in the past. I think it was just a room that was white, and that's what Noah Hawley wanted to call it. Yeah, presumably. There's, I mean... There's no jumping I, to conclusions again. Can't do it. Look, I mean, if we found out halfway through the set, or half, or at the end of the season, that there's going to be a big old phoenix flare, and that he was going to be the host of a firebird of death and rebirth, that would be very interesting. Mm. I'd be trying to figure out where that came from, but that's not where this is leading. No. This is a coincidence. So they find a place, and you know what? They uh, they make like rabbits. They they get together in their minds, and it's a uh. It's an interesting thing. I mean, Sid starts out and she's not super sure what's happening, and then no, she quickly she's realizes back what's by going on. David's confidence and kind of personality change. And th this is why the episode lost me right at the beginning, because this is not a subtle. Oh, David's David's a little more sure of himself now. Hmm. This is a one eighty. This is. This is superior Spider-Man levels of, are we sure this is the same guy? Are we Are think, we sure? I think that comes from the jump, because, like, you know, like, last episode ends on the on the cliffhanger on the road. Right. And then by jumping back to them already being at 
or kind of like just arriving at Summerlands with uh, Carrie's body, or like for surgery on the right. stretcher and everything, then we've kind of like moved past that period where the subtle changes can happen. Yeah. Um, like the possessed David has kind of been like, okay, like I can go all the way now, you know what? Right. And I just, that, I don't know. I mean, it's not that Dan Stevens wasn't doing a great job. He was hamming up the role. Hmm. He was doing a fantastic thing. And even the production design, like, you can you can see glints of yellow in David's eyes pretty prominently as, you know, he's acting a lot more confident. Maybe it was hmm. the lighting, but something like that, I don't feel like it's coincidence. I may be trying to, I may tr- be trying to put some threads together that I didn't previously see hmm. or that I just kind of want to see. Yeah. I feel like but, with, a, with a show like this, it was presumably intentional like that. Right. So. But I, we, like, uh, I get what you mean, because like, if with that subtle element, that would make, would have been like fine enough to kind of go on that for a while and then have the shift come in over the course of an episode. Yeah. And maybe maybe this is a this is a case of expectations versus reality. Perhaps. And, you know, I've been trying on this show not to have my expectations you know, dictate how I feel about it, but it, it caught me a little bit aback. They, uh, but they have a conversation. They get together, uh, and there's uh, there's kind of an uncomfortable scene in there. Mm-hmm. Sid talks about her first time being with a man. Look, I record this about twenty minutes after I wake up every morning, and this subject deserves some nuance. Oliver Sava wrote a really good piece on uh, Vulture, a review of this episode that we're going to link to in the as mentioned. That touches on uh, some of the stuff Sid was saying and how it impacts her as a character and some of her other roles. I think it's a real good piece that talks about it a lot better than I did. But that, I'll tell you, that scene didn't work for me either. No, it's, it's a really kind of clunky piece anyway. Yeah, because the story she tells is barely uncomfortable and then buttons up with, her shifting any sort of responsibility on herself that no one taught her how to use her powers, mm-hmm. which to me, look, there's a very fine line between not knowing how to use your powers and not understanding the concept of consent. Those are mm-hmm. two unrelated things. And it seemed weird for the show to kind of push those together and say, Oh yeah, this makes sense. That, that threw me off a bit. Yeah. I think, but I think all of yeah. review points out that, it's either that or over on the AV club that in episode three she's like a bit more aware of that stuff right now but it's obviously still something which is like not great considering she was 16 at the time yeah it's not super great the implications aren't and i i don't know if that was just the writers not thinking through everything or what i'm not trying to apply any malice or anything to that to anyone but it that that didn't work for me but no. very, uh, very quickly, we uh, find out that you know David. This whole time in between their uh, their little getting together sessions in this white room, David has been talking about how he's going to Division Three, and he is going to rescue his sister. And if anyone else wants to get in his way or help him, he's fine with either. But this is what he's doing. I think this comes back to the subtly thing because. Started like end of episode two, he was all ready to march off to division three anyway, right? And then they were able to kind of keep him and stay and hope that he'd be able to um, hone his powers more. So like, it could we could have very easily avoided like the very overt personality change, had him kind of still dead set on this mission now that they have new information, and then like yeah. oh wait he's gone, so, 
all right, something may not be right here. Yeah, and once David leaves, we don't see him for a while uh, no. in this episode. Well, we, we focus don't, on we don't really see him that. for a long time, like, directly with him. We're kind of then looking at footage when we do. Right, because uh, David leaves. He goes to Summerland. He had been promising Sid the whole start of this episode that she'd be by his side, and he leaves without her. Lenny convinces him, hey, you don't need her. She's just going to slow you down. And Sid starts to realize that there's something uh, menacing going on in David's mind, more so than she already had, and she's not able to put the pieces together yet. But David's gone. Summerland Cruz has mixed feelings on this. Melanie wants to go help him. She says, we, we have to. He's so powerful. We have to. We can't risk him falling into the wrong hands. Uh, Ptolemy, he is a lot more rational about the situation. Yeah, that kind of stems from his like ability to go into memories and like the idea of being aware of all factors and knowing everything that's going on. Right. Again, Ptolemy, his sweaters, dope as hell. Yeah. Wrote that in my notes every time. <laughs> Still the best dressed guy on the show. He So he goes to that. He doesn't want to. He's saying we are at war. And again, we don't have a clear definition of what this war is. And, you know... As this episode progresses, and spoiler, Division 3 kind of gets gutted, no one seems like the war is over. No one seems happy about that. So it feels like this conflict's a lot bigger than we've been led to believe. Yeah, I mean, even, like, the biggest battle we've had kind of so far where, like, both sides are intentionally fighting is when they break David out. Right. So I think it's also kind of been one of those which has been fought in the shadows in a way of, like, retaliation. Right. And then sneaking away. Right. Yeah, it's I'm I'm interested to see how this goes cuz war could be I mean very different things to very different people. Uh for mm. her part, uh Melanie, she wants to go and this seems to be driven a lot by uh by her relationship with Oliver, her husband played by Jermaine Clement, who doesn't appear in this episode sadly. No, he's but he's Yes, yeah, exactly. He's there is a uh there is an overarching, uh, just a cloud of Jane, Jermaine Clement hanging over this episode. Because Melanie, she's saying, yeah, he was a telepath, found his way to the astral plane, was able to access it, and he spent more and more and more and more time in it. And then he lost himself, essentially. Which is interesting. It's not the direction I thought it was going to go, but no. you can see... You can see that she feels a lot of guilt that she wasn't able to keep him around. She wasn't able to convince him to stay in the real world with her. Hmm. I mean, also, like, it provides, like, a little bit of context for his ice cube as well, I guess. Because, obviously, like, he's in the freezer. Yeah, the walk-in. Yeah. So, like, you know, he was, he, like, presumably that deep freezer is where he went to kind of have some peace and quiet to then explore the astral plane. Right. And it's kind of, like, like, the one thing that he latched onto in a way when he, did, like, is kind of there, was like, ah, oh, this ice is, this ice is important, and I can build a little house out of it. Right. I mean, like, there's even... A, there's a connection there. Yeah, and even in what he's wearing, the diving suit, it's a hermetically sealed piece of equipment. Mm. Nothing coming in, nothing going out. It's 100% isolated. Mm. And that's a big, that's a big thing. He was, he shut himself off, both physically and mentally, from the real world. Hmm. So, you know, Melanie, Melanie feels some of that. And then there's Carrie. So, last episode, we were 
I was I, I know Matt you were a little upset, but I I was broken that Carrie may be dead. She's Sorry, not rough time to get through, but everything's fine. Kind of. Yeah. She's not, but it's more interesting this way. Mm. I I really think it is. So, so what happens is uh Dr. Carrie and Fighter Carrie, uh you know, they, they come together. He's trying Dr. Carrie's trying to help her out, trying to make sure she survives. And you can you can feel a very familiar, like, caring for each other. There's an affection, like you know, they are they are partners. They have they've been together forever. They are both the Familiar only one really. Yeah, they're the only one who understands the other, and it's nothing romantic, nothing like that. It's just they have they feel like they're uh, they're like soldiers who have come back from a war, and even if they wouldn't have anything else in common. They're the only two who knows what's happening with the other person, so they can be there for each other. And Doctor Carey does not want to lose that. No. And there's there's a really cool, really cool scene. They they stabilize Fighter Carey, and as that's going on, Doctor Carey goes in there and he says he looks at her. He says, "Are you ready? I've got you." And he goes and he kind of falls backwards, and then they merge, and he assumes the wounds. Yeah, that's a that was a powerful scene because it just mm. shows, hey, this is their relationship. Yeah, because it's not he's like he's hurting. He's yeah, it's not take like Terry just took like a single shot or anything, and like in the arm, it's like it's quite a serious one. Oh yeah, and then she was beaten and bruised and bloody yeah. before all that. And what's what's cool later and just kind of emphasizes it is uh, they they split a little bit later in the episode, and we'll get into the context of that later. But Fighter Carry looks good as new, where Dr. Carry is, he has taken on all of her wounds. He's taken on all of the burden of it at mm. this point, which I think really speaks to the relationship. These two side characters have turned into one of the most interesting things about the show, and I love it. Mm. So the Summerlands crew, they, uh, you know, Ptolemy gets outranked, and Melanie says, okay, we're going to Division Three. let's go. So, Sid, Ptolemy, Melanie, and guy whose name I don't remember, but has the very, uh, very large, tele- yeah, telekinesis <laughs> throw things everywhere guy. Like, not subtle telekinesis, like, he can like, just, he can Fling things up in the air, like the duel. Yeah, and I, I like that you only see his powers as just, we're doing this 100%. He doesn't mm. have that fine control. Which is, I don't know, I, I've always thought that was really cool. I actually, when I was younger, had a pitch for a story about that kind of stuff. So I've always been, I always liked seeing that. I was like, oh, this is such a cool concept. So they, the guy's name they is Rudy, by the looks of things. Rudy. Okay. Good for you, Rudy. You're real good at throwing doors. <laughs> it's a fine art. It's, it's been practiced for many years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed that I don't know if you would have, Matt, but the car they're driving, the uh, driver, uh, the driver's seat is on the right-hand side, which is not the way we do things in America, which I mean, is like, where I've assumed a show was set. Yeah, like, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. I guess because it's because you think like, it's, it's normal. Like, it's normal to me, but then also like a driver being on the left side is what I see most commonly on TV and stuff. So, right, used to both. There's no point where I'm like, hold up. Yeah, it was weird to me because I was like, wait. I know that that's not how cars work over here. 
so, the so what's when, going on? Yeah, so when they were doing like the kind of the slow motion sequence and Melanie was walking around the car, was you like a little perplexed there? Or like... I was like, I was looking at it and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, where are we? And maybe she just <laughs> imported a vehicle, <laughs> but it was weird to me. I think it, it feels like it's just adding this other question of we don't know where, we don't know when this show is taking place. Hmm. It's a lot of contradictions. And I like it because it's adding a lot of complexity to the show. But we've spent a lot of time talking about the location of a wheel in a car. So, <laughs> is 20 so, seconds too much or too little, really? Depends on the car. If this becomes real important later, I'm going to say we were so right. If not, yes, no it, one will remember this segment. In a way, it proves that we did mention it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, so they get to Division 3. Uh... A tableau wanna, of violence. Wanna, yeah, you want to talk about what what they see in Division Three? There, there's a, there's a lot of people, and they're in. Some of them have been transposed into the floor. Yeah, there's a lot of people and a lot of pieces of people. Yeah. Not as much blood as I expect. It's still quite a bit, but. Yeah, it's. Some some of those are like kind of re really clean, as if they they just kind of pop there and haven't had chance to. Well, and we, we see a little bit of it on the uh, on the surveillance footage of Division hmm. 3. David, as we quickly find out, has been, you know, skipping and dancing through this facility, snapping his fingers, Imagine and that. watching people explode. Just not in, a, not in a puff of, you know, like a C4 inside them, but just in a billow of smoke, hmm. they explode. So Division 3, we get through there, and, you know, it's... It's another one of those high-tension horror sequences in this show. Uh, mm. They go through. There's a bunch of strobing lights, and that whole sequence felt like a music video to me. Like, it had that kind of style to it. Yeah. As they were scoping out the facility, trying to figure out what happened. Well, like, uh, there's, like, this kind of, like, the spiral shot down the stairs, which I found yeah. fascinating, anyway, like, the direction in general. But then, like, when, when they reach the fork in the path... Exactly. That, that, that kind starts... of style of editing is like, you could attune this to a beat if required. Oh, because it's exactly that. It's right when the light flips, you switch to the other people, and it's a mirrored image of what you just saw. It's This show is so freaking stylish. <laughs> this, is, this is experimenting with things you don't normally see on TV, and it's great. It does so much. So, uh, we keep looking... Uh, the doctor from Clockworks is still in his cell, and he has lost it. He actually, I was, I was trying to figure out what was going on with him because he was kind of scary. Hmm. And well, maybe he, he's just... seen what David can do when he's in control now, because he, he is like aware of what happened when the change with Sid, and then Lenny into the wall. Yeah. But then, like, uh, oh, so David can do this willingly, and with glee. Great. Yeah. It was scary to see that. Amy's out of her cell. Uh, yeah. For their part, the Summerlands people who, you know, they don't know... Well, Sid knows this guy, but I'm not sure Sid really trusts him. They leave yeah. him in his cell. They do not save him. No. Which is an interesting thing to ascribe to their motivations. They aren't altruistic. They aren't... They aren't the perfect superheroes in the world. They've got... They've got their warts. I think, like, it kind of stresses their idea of war as well that like there are third parties involved but they're not entirely concerned yeah there's there's going to be uh there's going to be some casualties 
they go uh, they find the head of Division 3 laying on the floor bleeding out dreaming about David saying he wears a human face we didn't know he wears a human face it just it just adds to this godlike aura that David now has in him mm. and, and then we also kind of get the we reach the patchwork of screens as well with because the group yeah, split up yeah and the screens that aren't it. mojos yeah yeah. Uh, they look at those, and uh, they see, uh, I don't know, like a Ghostbusters-ass uh, IR kind of view of yes. what's happening. And it's not David. It's the devil with yellow eyes prancing around and just exploding, killing people. Mm. And then there's like the kind of one shot that Link is on the devil's face, and it looks yeah. incredibly creepy in that through that lens. So what what's interesting to me about the devil with the yellow eyes and how they've been portraying him is in a lot of horror movies, the menace isn't seeing the monster, it's not seeing him. Mm. And as the yeah. reveal gets bigger and bigger, and as you see more and more of them, it starts to lose its Im- impact. I know that was, there's a problem with a lot of monster movies, uh, in my mind, like aliens at this point. I know yeah, what a okay. xenomorph looks like. It's There's none of that you know, hidden in the dark. What are you afraid of? What is this thing? At this no. point, they've been a they've been a threat for thirty plus years. I'm aware of what it's going to be, and it doesn't have that that horror of you know we get a flash of part of its body or anything at this point. And that's yeah, how that's the only how way it could work is if like we didn't know Prometheus was a stealth prequel and everything. Right. Which I have not seen that movie. No, I know. Like... I know it was a thing. Mm. <laughs> I hadn't it certainly was anything. I hadn't heard great things about it. <laughs> but yeah, here we started out and we barely got any flashes of the devil with yellow eyes. And now we're seeing straight up, hey, this is what it is. No nothing being obscured. And it's working well because they built up the devil as a threat, this parasite as an entity that it doesn't matter what he looks like, it's what he's doing. And that's the bigger thing here. And they've to their credit, they've done that very well. Yeah, I think if we were at this point and they were still kind of teasing him and like, oh, there's there's something just lurking in the corner of like the these rooms, just like it was in the kitchen back then. Right. Then we'd start like, all right, we kind of want to see what it can do now. Exactly. They've been they've been doing a good job doling out that information. So uh, the Summerlands team gets out of Division Three. Here he calls them on a magic Skype watch. And yeah, the giant beam of him in the sky. Right. And he lays out what the devil with yellow eyes really is, at least according to his research and everything. Mm. He says it's a psychic parasite that's been rewriting David's memories, living off him ever since he was a kid for, you know, over 30 years. So Pretty powerful. You know, I mean, it's the Shadow King. Yeah. Everyone's saying it, except for the show, but it's the Shadow King, right? Like, at yeah, I don't, point, I don't. I doubt it. I don't see how it could be like a another personality of David's. It's either the Shadow King or it's nothing, but it's the Shadow yeah. King. I'm a little disappointed they went with the dumpy, this dumpy uh, accountant look instead of the Shadow King's weird psychic monster thing. But his psychic monster thing look always looked dumb too. So I don't know. I have mixed feelings on the Shadow King. <laughs> Well, who, who knows if there's, like, another form, because he's capable of switching through quickly, but... Yeah, and we ac- we actually get that 
a little bit later in the episode yeah. with Lenny. We we kind of see it with when uh, Carrie's there in the in the screen in the background showing the MRI footage and it flashes between David, younger version of him, and then the devil as well. So, right, like those are very swift transitions there. Yeah, we're we're starting to figure out more and more about it. Uh, for also, part, it makes him forget. Yeah, it's it's rewriting his memories. It's lying to him. Mm, so, you know, with us where we've remembered it and, you know, keep seeing it, then right. it's kind of like that idea of, like, uh, they don't need to, like, hide it in shadow works, whereas, you know, for them and for David, if, like, every single time is new, just like the silence in Doctor Who and stuff like that, then it does, like, continually be scary in that way because it's such, like, a grotesque, gelatinous blob. Right. So the the next big thing is they need to figure out. Okay, uh, David's possessed by this evil monster thing. Where is he now? Why is where is he with his sister? And uh, David reaches out to Sid on the astral plane, takes her back to the white room, and he's sitting there on the bed, playing freaking the most menacing Rainbow Connection I've ever heard. I wasn't expecting a banjo. I don't know why no. I wasn't expecting it, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I was. Well, I expected something strange now that he'd kind of had this newfound confidence. I didn't expect the banjo, and then, like, Rainbow Connection is perhaps the obvious choice to go with that, but it's like, I still didn't see that coming. Well, it's what's weird is Rainbow Connection is one of the most heartfelt songs ever sung by a puppet. <laughs> Muppet, excuse me, they are legally different entities. <laughs> uh... And yet we're getting this weird mix of melancholy and menace from David in this. I'm still not sure who's supposed to be singing in that particular scene. Whether it's supposed to be the Shadow King, you know, Devil with Yellow Eyes messing with us, or if it's David just trying to reach out and say, you know, save me, I don't know what's happening. I think, and I love that ambiguity. Yeah, like, I, f I feel like David's got some strength there that would allow him to fight back even if it's ultimately suppressed by the strength of the Shadow King slash Devil right. with the yellow eyes. Yeah. But as as uh, as Sid's in there, she sees a telescope that is not pointing up at the stars, which I thought we were about to get, but instead is pointing at David's childhood home, which Sid remembers from memories. So she says, oh, shoot, we ought to go there. And the uh, Summerland's crew scurries along their way. Uh, and then we, we get really to the first real time with David since he left Summerlands. He's with his sister, they start talking, and David wants to know the truth about what's mm -hmm. happening, what secrets Amy knows about him. And it's a very good scene. Kate Asselton's doing a great job playing Amy as someone who's very confused about this new world she just got thrown into. And uh, do, do we want to talk about the fact that David's adopted? It's not a big deal. Certainly, his parentage David's isn't really adopted. a thing that's important in the comics or anything. We're going to see Professor Xavier. It's going to be exciting. It does seem more and more likely that it's going to happen this season as well. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's got to happen. I mean, you don't mm. set up he's adopted and be like, well, wait, who's his birth parents? Because mm. it's happening. My one big wild theory on that is now the Shadow King knows that he's technically Charles Xavier's kid, and he's known that for a while, so now he knew he was going to be super powerful, and he's going to try and take over him as some weird revenge on Charles Xavier if they actually have a relationship in the past. 
But I don't know if any of that's going to happen. That was me wildly writing down notes. <laughs> I could, yeah, no, I could see it like that he's using David to get to Xavier in, in a way. Comic, but he, you know, he's also going to have David's powers kind of on hand yeah. and tap if he wants them. Which, that's happened before in the Muir Island saga right at the end of Chris Claremont's run on Uncanny. Uh, but, no, nah, it's all a thing. I don't know what's going to happen. I kind of want to see a guy in a wheelchair. Yeah, I have no idea who they that. get for it. Like, if we're kind of operating on the assumption it's not going to be McKellen and it's not going to be McAvoy. You mean Stewart and McAvoy? Yeah, yeah. I know. Wow. These timelines are confusing. I get it. <laughs> There's so many layers and continuities. <laughs> I actually saw someone uh, post something that goes, here's the X-Men timeline of the movies as best as we can do it. And it was literally an X with a bunch of intersecting... <laughs> way of showing this is like divergent and convergent and none of it really makes sense but this does not fit into that this is outside of all that so i don't know who they get they may just get some esteemed british actor and say hey sit in this chair and look very wise it's a pretty deep well to go to they wouldn't be any in short supply yeah also in this scene uh letting which this is where we get the reveal that Lenny is Benny is King is the world's angriest boy in the world is the devil with yellow eyes is anything else was there anything else that she was she stepped out so she stepped out it's Lenny then goes to Benny oh, yeah. steps out of a mirror <laughs> forget about that wearing quite a dapper suit very gothic and a Twizzler tie yeah walks out freaking starts screwing with everyone oh Aubrey Plaza is terrifying in this series yeah, Just, like, for someone who we, at first we were like, she's playing Aubrey Plaza. And then to this point, it's like, no, she's she's doing a lot different. Yeah, she has, I've seen a lot of Aubrey Plaza stuff. She is freaking stepping up her game, which is fun to watch. Because hmm. you, you don't expect that. Yeah, well, like, you know, her kind of having the chance to get like a serious role, but also like being able to play a villain in a way. Right. It's like, it's very new ground and it's like a lot to work with if you've kind of had that april ludgate niche locked down for a while right so you know as they do that the summerlands crew gets to the house and when they walk in silence they can't hear they can't speak and it's a very effective scene for a show that has used sound so impactfully so strongly to just take that away and then prove hey we can do all this without that yeah, the, like the the cinematography of the show is great, but this kind of goes out of its way to stress it by kind of showing that it can do a lot with just like a visual aspect as opposed to also having an oral one. Right. And everyone's scared. Sid sees the world's angriest boy in the world, which has been the aspect of the Shadow King that's really been impacting her the most. Hmm. They go through the big thing. Carrie shows up. Hmm. He Carrie's is... reaction is quite... Oh, it's the best thing. He just decides to scream whatever he feels like screaming because no one can hear him. It's joy, joyous mm. to see him that excited. And then Melanie kind of looks at him and says, we don't need you, we need her. And then Carrie walks out with a freaking nail bat. She's going for the classic there. She's just so happy to hit things. I love it. It's such a bland one-up characterization, but I'm happy about it. So she uh she walks out. They try and find David. Uh, they go through. We we find out that the eye has actually been trailing them in the form of Rudy. 
Mm, I do really yeah. like when when they get out of the car at the house. I do really like the zoom that it then finds the eye, just kind of like in the background, but it's like a little bit further than that. Right. It's just off there. I don't know the eye. We haven't got a lot of definition on the eye. No, but... we know that he can kind of assume people's identities, but and see through things. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him. I'd love to get a little more definition on what he does. But I've mm. been enjoying it. He's, he has a good menacing role. Yeah. And, you know, but like he, here, he's, you know, he's been able to rely on not having to say a lot to, but still being able to kind of chase him down. It, oh, yeah. The same happens here, even like even though we don't see him actively coming towards them. Yep. So uh, they, uh, uh, Sid finds David and Amy and Lenny. Lenny is just straight up tormenting Sid. She's saying, hey, look, look at all these things I can do to David. And she starts, you know, mounting him and making out with him and all this stuff, just trying to get a reaction. Then David pulls Sid into the white room. He's scared. The devil with yellow eyes is there and his lumpy evilness starts chasing Sid around the room. Back in the quote unquote real world, the eye pops in and shoots at David. Sid jumps in the way and something happens. Something weird happens. She opens her eyes and she's back at Clockworks. With quite a few of the others. Yeah, everyone's there. And it has the best line. It says, okay, let's talk. Which I love every time there's a silent issue in comics and the very last thing is, you know, we ought to talk. <laughs> it's a dumb joke. It worked great when Grant Morrison did it in New X-Men. It works great every single time I've seen it everywhere, and it works great here. So one thing I don't think the end of this episode is, I don't think this means that this has all been going on in a mental institution somewhere, because that's the worst fan theory in the world. And yeah. Noah Hawley's smaller than, smarter than that. It worked once on St. Elsewhere, and then yeah. never again, because it was the first time. It's like how it's all a dream. We give Wizard of Oz a pass. We give yeah. Wizard of Oz a pass for that and nothing freaking else. Well, I mean, we, we watched uh, The Woman in the Window the first week of this term, and mm -hmm. it's a Fritz Lang movie from 1944, and it does like the, like, it's, oh, it was a dream, but like, there's no real hints about it. It just kind of right. like, happens at the end. And the collective groan was something to behold. <laughs> and I can believe that. And I, I will give, I will, I will give a pass to the first time a cliche happens. Like, Lord of the Rings has elves as this big race of people who are too proud for anything and all this. And a lot of stuff that, for lesser writers, becomes a big cliche. And it's like, okay, fine, get on with it. You're not special. You're going to mm -hmm. give Tolkien a pass because he did it first. Yeah, and everyone's yeah, just exactly. copying off of it. Especially but, if they're not doing anything to build upon it. Right, right, right. So, yeah, that's where we end the episode. And the credits, I this was the first time I sat through the whole credits because you just got the ping pong ball from uh, that we've always gotten in Clockworks, just yeah, the whole time. It was eerie. It was a weird way to end the episode. We've got three episodes left, and I don't know what's I don't know where this is going. No, uh, <laughs> so I just want to like jump back on the ping pong ball thing first because oh, yeah. obviously, yeah. in the white room there's also a bathroom. There's like it's a red. There's a bit where. Uh, David talks to Lenny in there as well, and like the like the door kind of slowly pushes open, and then she's there with and the ping pong ball. You can hear it then. It's like oh, it's a really it's a, like a really nice 
Shining reference because it's not like, oh, David cut down a door and stuck his head through it. This right. is this is kind of hitting the same tension and uneasiness that that scene hit in The Shining. Yeah, it's this show. It, it keeps going. I, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I wasn't sold on this. By the end of it, I was sitting there just engaged with it. That whole silent sequence was fantastic. This show does a yeah. lot of good stuff. So yeah. uh, it's it's I think we, comfortable mixing things uh, up. Yep. I uh, and I think we've got our uh, list of questions. So let's uh, dive into them. Do we know what's real yet, Matt? Uh, I can tell you what's not real. Presumably, is that the second clockworks that's been created, but. <laughs> My reality is shifting with every episode. <laughs> I think we're going to get an answer on that. We don't have one. We don't mm. go back to the kitchen outburst, so we don't have anything no. else there. We know that there's more of a war going on with Summerlands. Don't get an answer to that. We do get an answer that the world's angriest boy in the world is the same entity as the devil with yellow eyes, is the same mm. entity as King, is the same entity as Lenny and Benny and all this stuff. So we've got that down. Good for us. Good for the show. Then what do the stars say? We don't get Still more of that. answer of that. That's got to happen soon. Uh, yeah. What other what questions got brought up on this particular episode? I think this one was actually more answers than it was questions. Oh, uh, who's yeah. David's parents? There's one. Yeah, that's good. We can replace that with the what did the stars say? Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think you're right. This was one about giving out answers. You know, it's this it's the start of the second half. It's about kind of clearing a few things off the board. Yep. They're... And then being able to then, like deal with this now that we have the new information, as opposed to like trying to sustain the same mysteries over the course of almost eight hours. They are moving at whatever pace they need to move at, and it's great. Hmm. So, you got a uh, you got a thirty second summary for us? Quick, Oof. if you only know something, know this. So, uh, you know, after returning to the Summerlands, David decides to sneak sneak away and go after Division 3 himself. After much debate, the rest of the Summerlands crew decide they need to go after him, but come across a extraordinary scene of violence and death and some blood. Along the way, they find out that uh, David isn't all that he appears to be and that the devil with the yellow eyes has been in possession of him. David rescues Amy, takes him back to their childhood house. Summerlands crew still in pursuit. They end up finding him, find out that Lenny is Benny, is King, is the Devil with the Yellow Eyes, is the angriest boy in the world, and just as all chaos is about to break loose, David transports them all to a new clockworks. Yeah, that was the episode. It was real good. This show keeps getting great, and I'm I'm excited to keep showing it. All right, so uh, as we're wrapping up, Matt, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at Matt underscore Sibley on Twitter and also at uh, Newsarama. I think I'm probably going to have like some full-length reviews up next week. We're just kind of working out the timing for a few things at the moment. Ooh. Any any exciting ones? don't believe ones that I can oh. say yet. Fine. Fine, Mr. Secret Secrets. Uh, don't blame me. Blame the embargoes. <laughs> That's fine. As for me, you can find me online at Xavier Files. Uh, that's also the name of my website where I post uh, weekly uh, character profiles. Uh, this podcast is posted there. We've got a fun little webcomic called Bish and Jubes about Bishop and Jubilee going on fun adventures. Uh, we've got uh, actually a bunch of interviews going on with the new Resurrection line that's happening. 
one that Christine minute of Train one is really good, by the way. Oh, thank you. I was actually real happy about it. She's a delight, yeah. just to be clear. And anyone needs to talk to her at a con, find her at interviews, do anything, because she is so passionate about this book. She is so excited, and it's great. So, yeah, uh, if you like the show, please follow us on Twitter at LegionQuest. And if you really like it, you can uh, support our Patreon at patreon.com slash XavierFiles. Uh, it goes towards our hosting, towards anything like that. Uh, you can support it just like our newest supporter, Max Dwick, who... Oh, uh, thank you, Max Dwick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Vivi on uh, Reddit, if you didn't know. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. the mod. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, he's he's a cool guy. He does uh, some videos for Marvel called Marvel TLDR, where they give fun little animated recaps. I'll throw a link to that in the as mentioned. But check those out too. Uh, if you do that, you get shout outs, you get article updates on the Xavier Files website. At the level that he's subscribed to, you get beautiful crayon art drawn by me. I'm not a good artist, but it's unique. Sure, it looks lovely. I made a joke about it on the Patreon when I started. I never thought it would get there, but here we are. <laughs> if I'm being very honest, I now have to reap the everything for that. But no, it's uh, good. So, Matt, good episode. How you, you feel good about this? You ready to see how the rest of this show goes? Yeah, didn't like it as much as last week, but it's still a pretty strong episode of television that uh, kept me engaged and lots of reveals which changed the landscape. Oh, yeah. Bad episode of Legion. Better than a good episode of most shows. David! David! David. Shall we begin?